A man on a motorcycle was speeding down a runway chasing a single-engine plane that had no pilot headed towards a cliff. The plane plunged over the cliff and the man followed it. Skydiving, pulling himself into the cockpit, grabbing the controls, pulling back, and right before he hits the ground, pulls out of this death dive, and as he surfaces, comes up over the, the peaks of the mountains, the bombs that he, as a spy, had planted in the munitions factory of the Soviet Union special ops compound explode. So begins one of Ian Fleming's spy novels. <clears throat> Samuel Coleridge, the poet, said that drama requires the willing suspension of disbelief. The willing suspension of disbelief. And Jesus says some things that seem to require that, doesn't he? The first shall be last. Whoever would save his life should lose it. What I'm about to read to you may feel like it requires the willing suspension of disbelief. But what I hope you'll see at the end of our time together, reflecting on this passage from Ephesians, Ephesians 5, is that it does not, that the, that the, the, the strange things that Jesus is saying through Paul to the Ephesian church, the things that seem to contradict the ways we're called to be a particular kind of community, serving each other, that in the past may have felt terrible, do not require the willing suspension of disbelief, but actually energizes us as individuals and as a body together. Is it even healthy to think that I would set aside my needs for someone else's? Is it even, even healthy to think that, you know, as, as somebody said at summer camp to you maybe once upon a time, Jesus first, others second, you third, is that even healthy? I think what you'll see by the end of our time together is that we're called into what Emerson Egerichs calls an energizing cycle of life together. So let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to read verse 1, and then I'm going to skip down to verse 21, because verse 1 sets up, it sets it up. I'm just going to read this to you, and then I'm going to tell you about the next section so we can save a little time here. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There's the challenge. And it goes into a long passage that, that begins with sort of a classic vice list. But Paul is taking us beyond, don't do that, you shouldn't do that. He's taking us beyond a vice list, and he's saying, Boy, we should hunger so much more because we're capable of so much more than just avoiding the bad stuff. Capable of so much more. In fact, down towards the end of this section, he says, don't get drunk on wine. Now, where did that come from? Is that just part of the vice list? No, it's not. He's actually saying that 
if we enter into the kind of fellowship to which we're called, if we one another, right, if I may verb a noun for a minute, if we one another, y'all didn't get that. I'm verbing a noun, people, verbing a noun. Help me, help me, come on, need some feedback. I feel very insecure. Come on, give me some feedback. <laughs> He's saying that if we function the way we're designed to function, that we will be intoxicated by fellowship. He said, don't drink too much wine, but do these things instead. Sing hymns and songs and spiritual songs to each other with joy and thanksgiving in your heart. And then he goes on, he says this. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Stop right there. Now it's going to get ugly, all right? But don't miss verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now it's almost like he says, let me, give you an, let me give you an example of what that looks like in the body of Christ by illustrating it the way you see it beautifully done in a marriage. But don't think that I'm just talking about marriage. I'm talking about the way you relate to each other's colleagues. I'm talking about the way you relate to each other's friends. In the organization of the church, in the fellowship of the body, he says, for example, wives, submit. All right, don't throw the tomatoes yet. Hang in there, hang in there. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit in everything to their husbands. What kind of husband? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, that she may be holy without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. As their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of, of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. All right. <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> Father in heaven, how we thank you for 
your word that sometimes even pricks us in ways. It's such a challenge to us. I pray that you'd open the eyes of our hearts that we may receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've heard me say that there are a couple of kinds of people in the world, right? And it's a way of saying there are two natures in us. There are people that walk up to you and say, here I am, and aren't you glad? And there are people that walk up to you and say, there you are, there you are. Let's consider three ways of becoming more of the there you are kind of people. How do we become more of a there you are kind of person? Serving each other, looking out for other other people's needs as well as our own. How do we become the kind of people that are comfortable walking in through what I call the the service entrance of my house, as if we had servants? (laughs) Come in through the service entrance, through the garage, right? I like to joke about that when people come in. Come out, come in through the service entrance to be familiar with each other, but to move towards each other saying, there you are, not here I am. Let's consider three ways to do that. First is to look for the win-win. Look for the win-win. Not the win-lose. Not the win-lose. Look for the win-win. Look for ways that we both can win. You know, in that great passage about, uh, about Jesus, Philippians chapter 2, it said, each of you should look not only but also. Right? A lot of times we think, well, if I'm supposed to be looking out for somebody else's needs, if I'm supposed to be serving, if, if that's my call, if that's the vision of this particular way of relating to each other, is to serve one another. If, if the Christian life, in other words, hear this, if the Christian life is a particular way of living, and it's to move towards each other to give and not to get, where am I in the middle of it? What about my needs, Right? And God is saying, I want you to be fulfilled by filling other people. I want you to look for the win-win, not only, but also the win-win. You know, a lot of times you think of it like this. It's, um, we go astray a couple of different directions. Imagine a couple of people riding down the road, and where do you want to go to eat? Oh, I don't know. What do you want to do? Where do you want to go? I don't know. I don't care. Right? Does that sound familiar? I mean, is this just, is this just my household? <laughs> Come on, people. You know you do this. I mean, where do you want to go? Oh, I don't know. Where do you want to go? Is that the picture that Jesus is painting? Like we're not supposed to have desires? Like we're just supposed to suspend our wants and needs? Is that what he's saying? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? Oh, I don't care. Oh, I don't care. Wet noodle, right? Uh, I don't care. You know, that's why I think of it as sort of the, the wet noodle, you know. Uh, where's the person? Where's the, uh, is there a person there? But, but the opposite direction is just to advocate for your own needs. Now, this is what I want. I don't care what you want. What, what, what's being said here is, is, is neither one of those. It's neither one of those. It's to move towards each other and figure out what is the person there? What do they want? What do they care about? 
And then how can I direct my energy in a way that brings that out? You know, I, I think, and I, I've, I've, I've hinted at this before, that I think maybe we'd do better if there were just a Bible for men and a Bible for women, right? And you only read the man's part. The man only read the men's part, right? Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Ouch, right? And gave himself up for her. What if, what if as a man, that's the only part I knew? How energizing that would be because I'm moving towards my wife to give and not to get. The energy that I have, the strength that I have, the interest that I have, the, the, the things that I want, the desires that I have move towards her for her well-being, for her best, to, to see her flourish, to cherish her in such a way that brings out, this is a picture, an illustration of the church keeps blending these images so that we will see this is an illustration. This isn't premarital counseling 101. This is an illustration of the church. And so, and then what if women looked at that, at what they were supposed to, I'm not going to talk about that part. Y'all just figure that out. (laughs) But, But actually, in all seriousness, there aren't gender-specific Bibles. Why? Because we're to understand a mutual submission is the call, and we're to expect that of one another. This isn't a call to, to be a doormat. This isn't a call that looks past abusive relationships and say to women, sorry, sorry, you just have to follow this scripture, submit to your husband, even though he's running over you. That is not what's happening in this passage. We are to understand that this call is to all of us, to mutual submission, but that there are differences between men and women and to respect those differences and and to recognize those differences, but to direct them in a way that brings life to other people. That's the point. So we're not supposed to walk around on eggshells going, I don't know, what, what do you want? What do you want? I don't care but to bring your strength and to bring everything you have and to bring your full personality online in every relationship, but direct it in such a way that brings out the best in other people. That's the energizing cycle of the win-win. So yeah, it seems crazy. Submit to one another, serve one another. But when we do it in such a way that says, Bring out other people's best. Let your strength bring out other people's best. It's energizing. Let me be a part of that family, fellowship, club, whatever it is, I want in. Don't you? Win-win. Second, not only are we called to energize each other, to to live in community in a particular way that energizes each other through mutual submission by the win-win, But we're also called to look for the need under the want. The need under the want. To to listen well. You've heard it said, you have two ears and one mouth, right? How does that seem to work in most of your relationships? Yeah, backwards. A lot of times it's, it's, you know, 
I'm just, someone said, listening is waiting. Not real listening, false listening. Listening is waiting. Waiting for what? For your turn. (laughs) Is she still talking? (laughs) When's my turn? All right, I'm hearing what you're saying. It sounds like English. Okay, now, let me set you straight with reality. This is what I want. This is what I need. But are we taking time to say, all right, I'm hearing what you want. What's the need under there? What's the need under the surface? Are you listening in your relationships for the need? Are you just waiting for your turn? You're just hearing what somebody wants and not realizing that that's just, that's the safe way of putting themselves out there. Saying, okay, this is what I think. And sometimes maybe you're in the crosshairs. I understand that. I feel that too. I feel defensive when I'm in the crosshairs and someone's saying something they want and I feel bad about it. Like maybe I didn't fulfill something or maybe I did something wrong. It's hard to listen. But the illustration is that We're to love each other and serve each other as Christ loved the church. Now, do you see how even listening can be a call to die? You say, all right, this person in front of me is expressing some concerns. They're angry even with me. Can I hear the need under the want? Where's the value in what that person is saying? Even through criticism, it takes strength, friends, to do that. That's why Jesus says in the Beatitudes, the meek shall inherit the earth because only they have the strength. You see, what we're being called to is the kind of relationship that the Father, Son, Holy Spirit have with each other. Self-effacing love. Meek love. What's meek mean? Not weak. A lot of times meek gets a bad name because it rhymes with weak. But meek is like an oxen. It's controlled strength. You know, in an oxen, you you put a plow behind an ox and you think that that ground is so hard, there's no way I could even, there's no way I can get a spade through it. And then this oxen slowly but surely pulls a line of soil up turns it over. The meekness of an ox is directed strength. You see what's happening in this passage is we, Jesus knows we have deep desires and they're powerful. And he's saying, direct them outward at each other in a redemptive way, in a way that energizes people, in a way that brings out each other's best. Be meek by listening for the need under the want. Let me give you an illustration of what this looks like, of being meek by, by listening for the need under the want. Now, you used to take uh, groups down to Mexico, and we'd build houses on the border, and a lot of times we'd building them in places that are just ungodly. I mean, just a mess. Like, like the only place that some, some poor people in in Mexico can build a house is on a garbage dump where when you're digging through that, you're, you're digging through layers of garbage in order to, to put down a footer. And I remember taking a group one time and a group of men that were very able bodies. First time they ever had gone down and done something like this. And on the drive back, they were saying, 
We need to go next time and take some bulldozers. I mean, we need to go down and, and take, I mean, can you imagine what one of those little, those little uh, bobcats will do? Let's take a bobcat. Let's take a trail and take a bobcat down there. And, and in addition, to that, let's, 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 let's plant a grove there. I, mean, I don't know why they are not growing a bunch of citrus trees right there in the, around them. I mean, what, what's wrong with these? And then they start talking about what they can do, and they start putting down the people that they were called to serve. And then you realize this isn't about serving. They're not thinking about what those people really need. They're thinking about themselves and their own strength. It's not meek, though. It's not directed in a way that brings people out, that helps elevate those people. There's a reason why those people are living in the conditions they're living in. Some of it is that their whole society, their culture is broken. Their, their government is broken. So how do you elevate people in a way that doesn't run over them with a bobcat? Seriously. And that's what we're doing to each other a lot of times every day. A philosopher in China years ago, Lao Tzu, said, the best leader, when his work is done, the people will say, we did it ourselves. The best leader, when his work is done, the people will say, we did it ourselves. So what am I saying? What, what's Jesus saying here? What's, he, what's, what's Jesus, the word made flesh, spoken through Paul, what's he saying? He's saying be meek in your relationships. Energize each other. Bring out each other's best by listening to the need under the want. What's the real need that those people had in Mexico? They need They need to be encouraged. They need hope. They need to be elevated. They need to know they can do it. Not that we are the great hope with all of our equipment and resources and money, but that they can do it. When you're moving towards your relationships, are you moving towards people saying, I have this strength and you need it? Or are you moving towards them saying, I want to bring out your best? You know, industry, some of the, some of the, the, the Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great, recognized that the greatest People in the world are people that bring out the best in others. So much so that he said the highest level of leadership is servant leadership. Do you see? Isn't it amazing that people just keep stumbling into the principles that make life work well? The way we're called to relate to each other. How much more than Paul is saying in this passage? Should we not just be avoiding a lot of idle talk a lot of silliness, sexual immorality. He goes into all these kinds of different vices. The way that we're called to relate to each other is to bring out each other's best. How much more should people walking up and down this, these sidewalks, how much more people driving by our place, how much more should people, knowing that you go to First Presbyterian Church, should wonder, how do you all do life together like that? To bring out the best in each other. I want that for my business. I want that my family. That's what he's saying in verse 25. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he may sanctify by her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present her to himself in splendor, without spot 
or wrinkle. And finally, not only are we called to energize each other by the win-win, not the win-lose, the win-win not only but also, not only looking for the need under the want, but we're called to make deposits. Deposits. You're not responsible to fill somebody else up. It's talking about, remember I said, don't get drunk on wine. Don't drink too much wine to where you're intoxicated. But be intoxicated in a way that is full through community by operating with each other in a way that energizes by making little deposits. Just planting little things, encouragement, words of encouragement. You've, you've heard the illustration, you've heard me even use it, the, the idea of the, the geese that fly in V formation, how all that works and all the principles of that. And the fact that, that the geese, the goose that's kind of going through is the leader. I'm the leader, right? No, the leader of the geese is doing the hardest work. Cutting through that wind and creating a slipstream for the rest of the geese. Servant leadership. And what are the rest of the geese going? They're honking. Encouragement, right? Scientists know this for some reason. I don't, they talk, they're control groups of geese. Now, when you honk, what did you mean by that? But if you see verse 28 through 30, what's happening there? Verses 28 through 30. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Because we're members of his body. Now he's pulling it back together, all of it. And then he says, this is a great mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. How are we to operate? How are we to operate? See, you don't even know whether or not this is an illustration or an application. Is he saying, okay, let's apply this principle at home and your, your family if you happen to be married? Or, no, he's saying, he's blurring it. It's an illustration and an application. But this is just one application. Don't think because you're not married or because you're young or, 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 or widowed or divorced or never married or, or you're, you're, you're a kid, you're, you're in college. See, what we're being called to is a particular way of being human. A particular way of relating to each other. Donna Aikenbrandt was here, and he talked about the book Halftime. He talked about um, Bob Buford's book Halftime and how this guy who had piled up all this success got halfway through his life, and he said, this isn't satisfying. Is there another way to be a human being that's more satisfying? And the answer is, yes. It's to fill other people. It's to, it's to reinvent yourself as a servant leader. Wherever you are, if you're a young child here this, this morning, you can be a servant leader in your home. You can make a contribution. You can add value to your family by being cheerful in the morning. Yes, I'm talking to my family right now. One in particular. <laughs> one person in particular. I'm just kidding. You can add value. This isn't just talking about husbands and wives. This is talking about how do we relate to each other in a way that energizes each other. Moving towards one another to give and not 